Well, hey, hey there, happy innovators. How are y'all doing, huh? Are you enjoying your summer? Is it going by too fast? I kind of feel like mine is, but that's okay. I don't mind. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Anyway, so I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention in this podcast today the passing of the drummer Joey Jordison from Slipknot fame. And, uh, you know, just really sad to kind of hear about that. The fact that he was only 46 years old um, and that he's gone already, you know, uh, it's pretty sad. I mean, I remember the first time I heard Slipknot, uh, somebody that I knew had passed a CD along to me to listen to. And uh, the very first time I ever heard Slipknot, I just thought to myself, like, this drumming is impossible. I mean, it's just absolutely astonishing what this guy is doing behind the drum set. Like, you know, taking what Slayer had done, you know, Dave Lombardo from Slayer had done and just multiplying it by like a million, you know, just speed metal, like on a whole different level. And uh, I just remember being like really bummed out at how good it was and just like I I will not be able to do that on my drums you know and of course that's not true anything is possible if you practice it but oh my gosh this guy was uh, next level drumming and everybody knows that now so I'm not telling you anything you don't know already but uh, just trust me when I say that uh, it's a great loss for that instrument, you know, that the fact that he's not around anymore. He was that good. He really was that good and that far ahead of the curve when it came to what he was doing. And uh, I'm sure his memory will live on for a long time. So God rest his soul. Joey Jordison has died at the age of 46. Cause of death, I think, is still unknown at this time. But uh, a sad day here for Pipe Choir. Um, It's always sad when someone dies. Anyway, you know, here's the deal. I got this song, okay? It's called Followers. That's what I called it. I wrote it a while ago. And uh, it's the song that I've been working on for the past month and a half or two months. And uh, it just is one of these things where it's, it's driving me nuts, you know? It's not um, coming together as quickly as I wanted it to. And therefore, uh, you know, it's taking me forever to release the next song. And right now I'm on the threshold of kind of like, okay, do I just not release that song and go with the next song that was in the sequence of songs on this album, The Wrench and the Rubicon? But, you know, it. I do put a lot of thought and, you know, effort into coming up with the right track list for my records, you know, like what song I want next and like what I want it to be saying, you know. So this song Followers is the right song in the sequence. It's the one that's supposed to come next. But I have just been trying every single idea that I could think of, you know, to kind of like build this song up you know I kind of 
took the original version of the song and I stripped it down to the bare bones tracks that I really wanted to keep. And then, you know, through time and just, you know, day by day, just like add new things. And, you know, that's kind of like how my process is, actually. I guess I had never really talked about that, but um, it's what I do. It's how I do this. Like, I, uh, I mean, not like anyone really cares, but I guess I can just explain it anyway. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll have an idea of a song, you know, what I want to work on. And like, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just play a bunch of ideas like into the song and, you know, like just whatever comes to mind, you know, and then I'll go back later and I'll like edit a little bit, kind of move things around, listen to it again, clean up the tracks, get rid of all the artifacts and all that kind of stuff on the wave files and then at nighttime I'll you know listen to what I did during the day and, and usually that's when I kind of know what's going to work and what isn't and um, with this song followers it's just been day in and day out now granted there's been a lot of interruptions you know because you know truthfully my wife and I have actually been doing a lot of traveling over the past month and a half, just doing a lot of different things. But I'll get to that in a minute. My point is, is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for this song to like pop. I'm waiting for that moment when I, I add the right thing and I go, ah, oh, there it is. That's what I was waiting for. You know, like that sound or that guitar line or that keyboard line or, you know, something like that. And it's just not happening. So... You know, I'm like I said, I'm at that point where it's like, do I just move on, you know, and just forego having followers be the next track on the album? Or do I take the time and just get it right, you know? And uh, I don't know if you remember when I did that song, The Ocean of Regret, you know, it took me like two or three months to get that song together, like to a finished state uh, ready for release and it was worth it you know when I listen to it now I'm glad I took the time so I guess I'm answering my own question right it's better to just stick with the sequence of songs that I had originally planned followers is next finish followers and then as soon as followers is finished and released I have like two more songs that are pretty much ready to go um so right now, the only, uh, you know, clog in the pipe is uh, followers. But, you know, like I said, I just I just really feel like it's that's the song that should be next. So there you go. Anyway, so what have you been doing this summer? Huh? What have you been doing? I've been doing a lot of, you know, making music and all that kind of stuff. But I've also been doing a lot of traveling. And not a lot of it was by choice. Like, we kind of had to. Um, we had some family business to take care of out in Las Vegas. So we had to kind of, you know, drop everything and, you know, go out to Vegas for about 10 days. And um, it wasn't bad. You know, it was kind of like uh, each time I go to Las Vegas to visit uh, is like a revelation. You know, I come home with... Uh, like a, a heightened awareness or, or uh, 
you know, a clear picture, a clearer picture of what's actually going on out there, you know, out in the desert, you know, with these people. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, really, especially when you're there and you've been there a few times. Um, you know, I can honestly say uh, I was taken aback a little bit by uh, how much poverty there is in Las Vegas. Like, no one's really talking about it on the news or anything like that. But ever since COVID hit Las Vegas, um, there's like this wave of poverty that has struck that city. And I've been to Las Vegas, I think, a total of three or four times. And this last time we went, it was abundantly clear that... um, that city is in trouble. You know, there's, there's a lot of poverty like that I saw that was not there any other time I'd been there. And um, I, I would imagine it's because of COVID. I don't know for sure, but that seems to be the consensus that, you know, when they shut down a city like Las Vegas because of a pandemic, you know, it does serious damage to their, you know, economic situation and you know it's a city that relies on tourism and you know people coming in and spending money and staying in hotels and eating at restaurants and all that kind of stuff and over the past year and a half or two years it's been you know kind of strangled you know they've they've they are a mere fraction of what they used to be you know, and um, I think that they're in the process of like some kind of bounce back in Las Vegas, like other cities are around the country. But, um, you know, it's it's so kind of depressing, really, to go to Las Vegas now and to see what's going on there and like what it's become. Um, I mean, it's not too bad. You know, the, the restaurants are still open. You know, there's still a lot of people wearing masks and, you know, worried about, you know, being vaccinated and all that. But um, there were a lot of people who were just liberated. And you could tell that people, like, felt good to be taking their masks off, you know, to be free. But, uh, yeah, it was it was an eye-opener. And it was, like, this time around, like, coming home on the flight, that was the kind of thinking that was in my mind was like, wow, I just saw so many things, you know, people living in the gutter, you know, cause they have nowhere to go. And, um, of course the weather there is nice. It wasn't, you know, it's not bitter cold or anything, but it is the desert and, um, it gets pretty hot during the day, obviously. And, uh, what was interesting was while we were there, you know, there was a lot of rain actually happening in the desert, which is something that I had never experienced before. And uh, I'll tell you, it was quite remarkable to be in the desert setting with a rainstorm coming down. It was unusual, you know, very unusual, but very pleasant, very, very pleasant and good, positive experience, you know. So... Yeah, we came home. Actually, when we were out there in Las Vegas, my wife had made a point of uh, telling me that she wanted to go see this one 
thing they have out in the desert in Las Vegas. It's uh, like a sculpture. Um, I think they, they call it Seven Mountains. I think that's what it's called. And uh, basically what it is is like this this area out in the middle of nowhere, like out in the middle of the desert, like nothing around, you know? And uh, they have these gigantic stones. I mean, they are massive stones and they are stacked on top of each other. And like, you know, there's seven of these rock formations, like these stacks of rocks um, in this one particular area of the desert. And the rocks are painted like really bright and, you know, vivid day glow colors, you know, and um, it's just a sculpture. You know, it's just this weird thing, you know, out there in the desert. And my wife was like, oh, I want to go see that this time. I'm like, okay, you know, so we jumped in the car and it was so cool, like, because, you know, we're not from there. So, you know, we when we go to Las Vegas, we're usually like in the city. That's, you know, where... Our, uh, my wife's family lived and lives. And so we, you know, we're actually like near the strip, the Las Vegas strip when we go there. So very seldom do we ever really get a chance to go out to the desert where there's nothing in sight, you know, and this sculpture thing that we went and checked out kind of afforded us that opportunity to go check it out, you know, so we did. And there are all these people there. It was so wild. Like, you're driving down this dirt road, you know, this desert road with nothing in sight, you know, no cars or anything. You're just kind of driving down the road. And then all of a sudden you're there and there's all these cars and all these people out in the middle of nowhere, you know, on just like a random day, you know. So my wife and I hung out there for a while and I actually had started to try, okay, try to videotape myself out there um, and put it in as part of this podcast, but it just didn't really seem to be going well. You know, it was like I, it wasn't set up right and the feeling wasn't right, but we were enjoying ourselves anyway, checking out the sculptures, uh, these seven mountains. But it was pretty, pretty cool, really, to be out uh, in the middle of nowhere, like the middle of nowhere, man, you look around and all you see is, you know, flat desert and mountains off in the distance, you know, and, uh, any which way you look. And, you know, we went there like at sunset. So the sun was just doing incredible colors, you know, like across the sky. And there was all these weird and interesting people that were all there. And we were kind of like talking and, and it's an interesting thing because it's people that, you know, I've never seen before and I'll never see again. But we're all there at that moment, at that time, uh, in that same space, just kind of enjoying this sculpture and talking and everything. And, the, you know, one by one, we all get in our cars and drive away and that's it. So it's an interesting kind of exchange um, and kind of like this interesting kind of like randomness to all of it, you know, but, uh, it was really cool. It was really cool. Actually, we also, uh, my wife and I, we went and checked out this place. Um, <laughs> we had kind of, you know, uh, made a pact between ourselves. Like we were going to do this this summer. 
Uh, we were going to go to the Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. And uh, in case you don't know what, you know, cryptozoology is, uh, you know, what I'll do is I'll get my handy dandy dictionary and we'll check it out. Okay, so I got my handy dandy uh, dictionary here, my uh, new Oxford American Dictionary. Uh, oops, bump the microphone. <laughs> Uh, just kind of uh, got my handy dandy book here it's a thick book a heavy book and a reliable source of information for quite some time and uh, so let's see cryptozoology spelled c-r-y-p-t-o-z-o-o-l-o-g-y cryptozoology and uh Cryptozoology is, by definition, the search for and study of animals whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated, such as the Loch Ness Monster and the Yeti, which is funny because they actually put Yeti in the, in the definition. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, my wife and I, for the past year or so, have been on this Sasquatch kick, okay? And uh, it's just one of those things, you know, we just, it just makes us laugh and we have fun with it, but there's like this part of us that kind of believes it, you know, or wants to believe in it. And uh, actually, you know, with something like Sasquatch, it's not that difficult to believe that something like that might exist, right? Um, because, I mean, there was this prehistoric creature referred to as Gigantopithecus, I think the name was, and it looks like Sasquatch. I mean, they believe that this creature existed. So, I don't know. It's just fun, and it's also interesting, intriguing, and a little bit weird, you know, a little bit spooky. But, um... They have this museum in Portland, Maine, called the Cryptozoology Museum. And it's this building just devoted to things like the Loch Ness Monster, Dogman, uh, you know, Yeti, Sasquatch, any of these animals that, you know, are purported to exist by people who claim to have witnessed them. But, um, they technically are not showing up like on the, the record as animals that exist, that really exist. So like, uh, you know, you'll have something like uh, Sasquatch and Loch Ness Monster, but you also have, you know, these animals like the Salocanth, which was a prehistoric fish they had thought to be extinct. But here it turns out that a few years back, you know, somebody actually found one alive. You know, so uh, while the coelacanth was considered to be an animal of like legend or not not really based in reality, at least not in modern reality, um, there you go. So, you know, someone yanks one out of the ocean or something and, they, you know, it turns out they still live. They actually exist. And so you got to kind of wonder sometimes, you know, with this idea of cryptozoology, you know, it's uh, 
it's spooky and weird and all that kind of stuff, like entertaining and fun. But it's also pretty interesting. And the place that we went to, this cryptozoology museum, it, you know, it was okay. It was okay. Um, it was a little bit um, lame because they don't allow you to take photographs inside the museum, you know, because there's like copyrighted, you know, information or photos or something. You know, they're protecting it. It's so stupid. You know, it's like I'm in a building with weird stuff in it and I have a camera and I can't take pictures. Get out of here. And I paid to be here. I thought that was pretty lame. And, you know, because of COVID and a lot of the problems that places have been having with shipping and all that kind of stuff, you know, their T-shirt selection and their stickers and all that kind of stuff was kind of limited. And really, you know, if you think about it, when you go to a cryptozoology museum, I mean, what else are you going to do there? Right. Aren't you going to take you know, want to take a sticker home or a T-shirt like to say you were there, you know, and their selection was just so poor and so thinned out. And, you know, they hadn't uh, replenished their supplies in, in probably a year, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, but we still had a good time and uh, it was just a really funny thing to do. On a, you know, a Tuesday afternoon or something, you know, just go out to the, the cryptozoology museum and look at all the evidence, you know, about the Loch Ness monster or, you know, the dog man and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Actually, they had in this cryptozoology museum, they had a, you know, a real life sized, you know, estimated size dog man, um, like mannequin or puppet or you know whatever you'd call it um and man i'll tell you what out of all the things i saw in that cryptozoology museum including like the life-sized uh sasquatch they have and the uh you know the bigfoot footprints and uh and there's been like a, a lot of stuff especially where i live like in in uh, new england there's a lot of these animals that people claim to see you know out in the wilderness of Massachusetts because there's a lot of that here people don't realize that but in Massachusetts there's a lot of woods a lot of forest area and there's all these claims of seeing these different things and they had all those represented in this cryptozoology museum but the one of the dog man like this uh, life-size replica statue type mannequin thing of this dog man oh my gosh it stuck out in my mind you know it was like that was really weird like to look at you know it was gigantic and uh i mean it's one thing to hear the stories and stuff like that you know but when you see something like you know a mock-up made of what people have described with dog man um it's pretty creepy to look at. Like if it were alive and moving around, like it was alive and coming after you, you know, it would be a pretty freaked out experience, you know? Um, but it was a lot of fun. Great way to spend an afternoon, you know? And then uh, I guess, you know, we did also go to, okay, this um, exhibit that was at a church nearby us. Um, it was a shroud, the Shroud of Turin exhibit. 
that they travel around with, and it's, it's just kind of it is like a uh, a presentation of all of the the things, the evidence, and all that kind of stuff around the Shroud of Turin, which. If you're not familiar with that, it, it, it is the, or purported to be the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's just a fascinating uh, rabbit hole to go down, you know. And uh, in my opinion, okay, um, I believe that it is photographic evidence. I, I do believe that. Um, that when you look at the shroud, you are actually looking at a photograph of Jesus Christ not only the man but like at the moment at the moment of resurrection where you're looking at that exact moment a flash of energy putting this image onto this cloth and uh, you know a lot of people don't believe it a lot of people think it's fake they go oh it's carbon dated and it's proven to be a hoax and oh yeah, whatever, you know, it's like everybody, you know, there's, when it comes to something like the shroud of Turin and whether it's true or not or real or not, there's been a, a fight over that long before anybody found the shroud. So, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't mean anything to me. Of course, there's going to be people who disagree, but you know, I just, I, I think it's real and I think it's fascinating to look at because when you do look at it, you know, the shroud of Turin, the burial cloth of Jesus, when you're looking at it, it's pretty fascinating and pretty mind blowing to consider what you might be looking at, you know? And, um, if you ever get the chance, I recommend you go down that rabbit hole because, uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, my wife and I went and we checked out this exhibit and it was, it was cool. It was like, you know, another thing that we did this summer, you know, we have a couple more things on the list. I'll probably talk about those in later podcasts when we actually, you know, go out and do it, you know, go out and do them. But uh, there's like, like two, one or two more things on our list, our punch list for the summer of 2021 and you know, we should probably try to get it in quickly before, you know, COVID sets in again. Because I don't know about you guys, but I kind of sense that, you know, they're going to try to, like, get that thing going again. Get that COVID machine uh, turned on and and uh, going full tilt boogie, you know, once again. Just in time for the school year to start, right? Um, yeah, wonderful. Fantastic. Sounds like a great time, you know. Anyway, so aside from COVID and all that stupid stuff, well, I guess it does apply to this a little bit, but, um, you know, my wife has kind of gotten me watching, uh, really kind of for the most part, at least originally against my wishes, really. Um, we're, we've been watching, we've been tuning into, uh, the, the Olympics in Tokyo and normally I don't really pay any attention to any of that stuff. Usually I'm busy doing something with music. You know what I mean? I'm like all my life, all of my life. And I might tune in a little bit to watch some special event with the Olympics, you know, like over the past 50 years. But for the most part, it never really interested me until now. Okay. 
and um, or maybe over the past maybe 10 years, you know, I really kind of have watched for the first time Olympic events and my wife is really into that kind of thing. So, you know, naturally a lot of the time when she's watching something on television, I wind up watching it too. And, um, you know, it's probably the only way that I would really tune in and pay attention to that, you know, as if I was forced to by someone else. And it's fascinating. I got to say, I, um, I'm glad for it. You know, I'm glad that I'm watching it and paying attention to it. And I'm able to see this thing we know as the Olympics, like through the eyes of somebody who's older, you know, um, it's, oh, it's hard to explain, but hold on. Let me get a sip of my coffee. I suggest if you have a cup of coffee, that you go right ahead and take a sip as well. So hang on. Oh, man. Woo! Good coffee this morning. Mm. All right. Wow. Woo! Okay, so what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the Olympics. So I'm watching these different events, like not just like the really like exciting ones like gymnastics and, you know, skating and skiing or, you know, not not just like gymnastics and tumbling and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm watching everything, you know, the air rifle competition, the, you know, the compound bow competition and, um, just bicycling, you know, skateboarding, surfing, all these different sports, these different events. And it's, it's fascinating to watch the Olympics because, you know, there's a lot of talk, especially now like by people like Joe Rogan, you know, that he'll make comments about how the human brain is like a chimpanzee brain, like we're this like low functioning animal, but it's like, if he wants to think that way, that's fine. But I would suggest, okay, that before he says that ever again, that he watches the, you know, synchronized high diving at the Olympics. You know, this is not something that, you know, chimpanzees can do, you know. And uh, you watch these, you know, track and field athletes, you know, with the the shot put in the you know, the different uh, relay races and hurdles and all that kind of stuff. It's like to watch these athletes that are really, you know, I guess there's the expression, you know, par excellence. You know, it's a it's a term that I like to use a lot, or at least I think about a lot, you know, when it comes to pretty much anything in life, you know, and uh you know, par excellence. Let's see. Uh, well, I got my handy dandy dictionary here. Maybe what I'll do is I'll find the definition for par excellence. Let's see. Where is it? Okay, here we go. Par excellence. P A R E X C E L L E N C E. Par excellence. Uh, it's an adjective 
It means better or more than all others of the same kind. So, you know, when you watch somebody like um, Michael Jordan playing basketball, it's, you know, uh, basketball being played par excellence. He's, he's better than most others, right? Let me close my dictionary without hitting the microphone. Um, so, you know, when you watch the Olympics, it's really something to think about. You know, no matter what the event is, that we're, when you're watching the Olympics, you're really kind of seeing something being done par excellence. Like, these are the people that w- are doing this thing better than everyone else can, and that's why they're chosen to go there and compete, you know? And it may not seem like a big deal to a lot of people, you know? There's a lot of other things to be worried about in the world or whatever. But to me, I think I kind of have a new appreciation for that kind of thing, you know, especially since I've started to get into like hockey, the sport of hockey, because, um, you know, when you see these hockey players and, you know, their level of athleticism, um, you know, it's not, it's not completely separate from artistry, you know, or like, uh, being a musician or something. It's not really that different. You know, like it's like anything else in life like that, where, you know, it's this singular focus on something, you know, like it's let's say you're a violin player, you know, your singular focus in your life is the violin, playing the violin, getting better at the violin, playing the violin for a profession, making your living, playing the violin. So it's like everything in your life is geared around this instrument and you playing this instrument. Well, the same goes for like a sport or like really pretty much anything else. Gaming, you know, people who do gaming, it's like that becomes their whole life. You know, that's, that's it. There is nothing else. There can be nothing else because in order to get to the top, you have to have this focus and you have to know what you want and you have to be, willing and like you have to have the desire to put in the time and the effort and the practice and the when everybody else is out having fun you're inside doing the thing you know focused practicing again getting better doing what you're supposed to do in order to get to the next level and there's something really to me anyway there's something really beautiful about that idea you know when you think about it, it's it's pretty damn cool. You know, it's pretty damn cool. Like you watch those gymnasts that are doing like those floor routines, you know, like that Simone Biles, you know, she got disqualified or whatever happened. But, you know, like somebody on that level doing that kind of thing is fascinating, you know. Um, like with the hockey players I was talk, you know, talking about, like in order for a hockey player to rise to the level of the NHL, you know, it requires the effort of everyone in their family. It's not just them. Like they need the support of their parents and their brothers and sisters in order to compete, you know, 
just in order to compete as a hockey player, let alone make it your profession and do it for the rest of your life. You know, um, it's really, you know, when you think about that, like behind every athlete that you see, professional athlete, there is a whole world behind them, a whole story, you know, of long hours, you know, it's, it can be no other way. Like it doesn't come easy. And so, you know, when I watch hockey, it's just like, oh, I'm like fascinated that human beings can move like that on ice skates. Okay. That's like one layer of the fascination of hockey, but then to handle the puck a certain way with the stick and to be able to do that while you're skating backwards, you know, it's like, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's easy to take it for granted when you're watching it because it's going so fast, you know, but oh my gosh, the level of skill and the amount of time it must take to get to that level. And that's true for anything in life, you know, anything that somebody chooses to do, stock car racing, you know, parachuting, parasailing, kayaking. I mean, if that's what you're focused on, if that's what you want to do, I want to be a professional kayaker. (laughs) Is that what they're called? I guess that's what they're called. Like, I want to be an Olympic level kayak guy. You know, well, if you want to be an Olympic level anything, you're going to have to devote every single waking moment of your life to doing that one thing just in order to even be able to compete with the, you know, the up and coming or the, the, you know, the amateurs, you know, like you, you have to just to make it to the bottom levels, you have to be devoted 100%. So that's really when I watch the Olympics or something like that, or sports of any kind, that's really, you know, like as I've gotten older, that's what it's become is this new understanding of like, what you're actually watching happen. You know, like when you're watching an Olympic bobsled team, do you have any idea how much time and energy and money and years have gone into that single thing you're watching? You know, there's a saying in like theater, you know, with, you know, with plays or with rock concerts and stuff like the audience comes and they see the show and the show might last an hour and a half or two hours or something. And the audience comes, they watch the performance, then they go home. But what they don't see are the weeks and months and hour after hour, day after day of practice and rehearsal, all the time that goes into that performance. So yeah, the hour and a half, two hours is enjoyable and all that, but There's so much behind what you're seeing, you know, it's probably something that we should kind of like take through life with us when it comes to anything. Like when you see something being presented to you, no matter what it is, it could be anything, a painting, uh, a sculpture, a song, a sporting event, uh, I mean, a cooking show, you know, anything like that, a news report. Anything that you see like that, 
it comes and goes very quickly for you as the observer. But if you could see the hours, you know, if you could see the energy and the time that went into just presenting what you saw, it'd probably blow your mind. You know, it's, it's cool to think about. And like I said, probably something that you can carry with you anywhere you go in life. Like no matter what you look at, you know, when you look at somebody, you kind of have to look at them a little bit longer, maybe, you know, and really think about what you're seeing. And like behind each person, there is an ocean of time and experiences and good and bad and mistakes and successes and failures and friends and enemies and you know there's behind each and every person that you see you know now granted it does seem sometimes that some people are smarter than others <laughs> I can't deny that but uh, that's okay you know that's okay we need smart folks and we need dumb folks and we need all that. You know, everybody has something to contribute. Everybody has a story to tell, you know, and uh, when you look at somebody long enough, you just might see some of their humanity. You know, you start to realize that, you know, uh, or maybe not. <laughs> maybe you don't, you know, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But to me, it's like, you know, back to this thing about the Olympics, that idea of being devoted to a purpose, you know, um, I guess, you know, I saw not too long ago, uh, there was a film I watched and uh, there was a line in that movie where they were talking about the meaning of life. And it was summed up like this, like the meaning of life is like, um, free will okay free will while moving towards or away from a purpose okay free will while moving towards or away from a purpose now think about that okay isn't that really really the essence like the the basic essence of our lives that's what our lives are we have free will we can choose while moving towards or away from our purpose. Okay. Obviously, if you're moving towards your purpose, that's positive. And if you're moving away from your purpose, not so positive. So there's a little bit of a philosophical nugget for you to take with you today. You know, free will while moving towards or away from a purpose. Pretty cool. And that's really when we talk about these athletes and we talk about all that kind of stuff. It's really, I think, the, that's really the, the essence of what we're talking about. You know, you have these, these people who devote their lives to what they do. You know, it doesn't have to be a sporting event. It doesn't have to be music. It doesn't have to be anything even tangible. I mean, it could be economics. You know, you've devoted your life to economics. And there are some people that are like that. You know, that's what they wanted to do. That's what they were called to do. And that's what they did. While all their friends were out having fun, they were home doing the thing. Or they were at the place doing the thing, you know, getting better at what they did. And um, 
I don't know, there's something about that that's just fascinating to me. Really is. And, you know, I can kind of say, I guess, in a way, that I'm kind of proud a little bit, that, like, I can say that I've done that, you know? Like, I've had something like that in my life that mattered really pretty much more than anything else did. I never wanted to do anything else or be anything else. I I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I was very young. That's pretty cool, you know? And I had support. I didn't have as much support as I probably needed or probably could have used, okay? But I did have enough to get me through and get me to where I'm at right now, you know? So, you know, it wasn't all bad either, you know what I mean? It's like if you enjoy what you're doing enough, it doesn't matter what it is, if you enjoy doing it enough, it's never really work. I mean, it's just what you do. It's what you do. I mean, for me, that's how it is. And I think it's that way for my wife, too. Um, with her her job and like what she does, she's been that person her whole life. You know? Um, she gets paid for it and all that, but now. But she was always that, even before she went to college. I mean, she was a teacher. She was an educator. She was an academic. Those people um, have a calling, you know, much like anything else. Sports, music, you know, religion. They get called to be teaching people things. That's what they do. They have the desire and the ability to impart information onto other people to other people that communicate information to other people. That's what they do. That's the essence of teaching is they you know imparting knowledge, right? So uh no, it's just kind of cool. I'm I'm proud of the fact that you know both myself and my wife like we we both have that in our lives. We were given that, you know, by uh Osmosis, you know, without asking for it, is a gift that we were given. Like, you know, I saw in a movie just not too long ago, they were talking about in this film how everybody has a gift. You know, every single human being that's ever lived is born with a gift of some kind. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that. Is that true? You know, is that true? Are all people born with a gift and I would imagine it probably is and the you know the real tragedy with that is that you know most people never really get the opportunity to find what that gift is or they don't get the opportunity to you know grow and embellish that gift that they've been given they don't get to use it you know because they're busy doing something else again you know the whole idea of moving towards or away from your purpose, you know, um, it's a, it's a really kind of large thing to think about. It's big, you know, in your life, in your mind right now, sitting in your chair, think about that. Are you okay? The happy innovator that's listening to this podcast right now. Can you say honestly to yourself, okay, that you are moving towards your purpose in life or are you moving away from 
your purpose in life? That's, that's a pretty hardcore question to ask and an even more hardcore question to answer. But I can say, I think when I look at my life, I would say that for the most part, I have always been moving towards my purpose, you know? Like with the music thing, for me, it was always kind of like separate from my life, you know? The music was always different. Like it was its own thing. And like um, what I might find enjoyable or whatever, what I might find acceptable in my life, I may not find it acceptable in the realm of my music. My music was different and it was separate to me, you know? I treated it that way. It was like very serious. It was never a joke, you know? Um, I was never going to be one of those bands that makes like goofy songs, you know, about food and like, you know, just silly stuff like singing about the party or something. Like, I'm not going to do that. It's like it was always different, you know? Do you know what I mean? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You know, it's like when you're somebody who's, you know, trying to be creative pretty much all the time, you know, you sort that kind of stuff out really quick. You know, like you, you know, when you are young, you know, and you start out when you know what you want to do. And I can speak from experience because I was I was a little kid when the music bug bit me, you know. And it wasn't just the music thing. I think it was like the art thing, the the idea of expression, you know, like um, you probably know what I'm talking about because you're probably very similar, you know, like you get inspired or you get moved by things you see and hear, you know, when you see that somebody has put effort and energy into communicating an idea to you you know, it's exciting, you know, and the natural response is to do the same thing. You know, it's like we are a tribe of people, you know, on this planet, the people that, you know, they call creatives. And, you know, nowadays it's like this big deal to be creative and inspired and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes I I hear that kind of talk and I just want to like start slapping people on the head, you know, It's like, oh, shut up about being creative and, oh, I'm so creative and inspired and you inspire me, you know, all that kind of stupid, you know, it's like, oh, don't talk about it, you know, don't say it, but here I go, you know, but it's true. It's the, it's a weird path, right? And, um, you know, I I hear so much about it now. It's like the coolest thing you could be is a creative person right now, you know, like on the internet, the, the the zeitgeist, the the things that people talk about and the things that are honored and praised. It's all about art, communication, talent, you know, America's got talent, all that kind of stuff, you know. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It drives me nuts to think about that stuff sometimes. It's like, oh, do we really need to talk about it? Really? <laughs> But, I don't know, I guess we do. Here I am, you know. I'm a, I'm a hypocrite, you know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. 
that's how it goes, you know. That's the human condition, you know. Okay, so, you know, anyway, I have one more thing I want to talk about today. Um, a nice little kind of warm and fuzzy, touchy-feely little thing I want to talk about before I sign off for the day and get to work on, you know, that song Followers or the next song. You know, I'm not sure. You know, I'll figure that out after this podcast is edited and everything. But, um, you know, my wife does this thing. I wanted to talk about this because I think it's important. Okay. Um, my wife does this thing sometimes when we're watching television. She'll walk past me, you know, to go to the kitchen or to go somewhere and she'll stop where I'm at and she'll just start kissing my face you know for no reason and without any warning or anything I'll just be sitting there watching television or laying down on the couch kind of like sprawled out watching TV and she'll come along and she'll just start kissing my face and I don't mean on the lips okay I mean my face and my forehead my temples my eyes my nose, my mouth, my chin, my cheeks, my jaw, my ears. And, you know, these just these really soft, like, butterfly kisses, you know? And I know this sounds funny to talk about. It sounds like, ah, you know, ah, how cute, you know? But I, I, I wanted to talk about it because I think there's something very, very powerful in that, you know, um, there's something about getting your face kissed. It's not sexual or romantic or anything like that. It's primal. There's something about that notion of that place on your body that's usually very personal, like your face is not something that people are allowed to really touch very much. You know, it's not acceptable behavior to go around touching people's faces. But when you're intimate with someone and they're allowed to touch your face whenever they want, and, you know, they're allowed to be intimate with you, like, like they're allowed to kiss your face. Not only are they allowed to touch your face, they're allowed to kiss your face. It's such a weird kind of thing that happens, at least for me, like in my brain. You know, I feel kind of like, you know, like I go kind of like numb. You know what I mean? Like I kind of like, I instantly relax. There's There's something about that idea of having your face kissed that just immediately disarms you. You know, you you become like, you know, those cats, like those kittens, when you pick them up by the scruff of their neck, they go limp because they, that's how their mother carried them. So they like instinctively know to just relax. As soon as you grab a cat by their, the scruff of their neck and you pick them up, they immediately go into like kitten mode and they go limp and they their head goes down because that's how their mother carried them. You know, well, getting those face kisses is a lot like that, at least for me. And I just kind of wonder, is it like that for other people? You know, and do you even think about that? You know, like when you're with somebody that you love, 
do you ever just do that? Do you ever just, like, for no reason, really, just grab them and kiss them? Kiss their face? You know? What a what a amazingly beautiful thing to do. You know? It's so simple. It's so basic. It's so arbitrary. At least it seems that way. But I swear to you, there's something that happens on a very primal level when we allow someone to kiss our face. You know, to get that intimate and that close to us as animals, as the human animal or whatever, as humans, you know, um, allowing somebody into your space like that, you know, uh, it's not to be taken for granted. And it's also not to be talked about for hours and hours, but it's like, um, I'm going to sign off now, but I want you to think about that. That idea of the, the people around you, you know, the people that you love, you know, um, maybe your children, you know, do you ever just for no reason, for no reason, do you ever just grab them and just start kissing their face because you just love them so much? And I guess that's the feeling I get, like when my wife does that, like she does it all the time, you know, like it's just something that when we're watching television and I hear her getting up, I know that I'm about to get this love attack from my wife, you know, and that's really what it's like. You just, it sounds so corny to talk about it out loud, but I don't know. I think it's important, you know. There's something there. There's something there. It, it makes me feel loved, you know. That's kind of a beautiful thing, you know. Feeling loved is a beautiful thing. And it's not to be taken for granted. Because let me tell you, there's a lot, a lot of lonely people out there in the world, you know. And, uh, oh boy. You know, when we went to, like I said, when we went to Las Vegas, oh, I saw a whole lot of people who really are kind of hanging by a thread, you know. And here I am, you know, laying on my couch, getting my face kissed by a beautiful woman who loves me, you know. Um, so I guess the, the moral of the story here, the message for today is uh, try to observe and be par excellence, Right. But also don't forget the face kisses. You know, if you got somebody around you that you love right now, just for no reason, just go over to them and just start kissing their face. You know, it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing feeling. Long live the face kiss. (laughs) And with that, my happy innovators, I'm going to sign off right now for the 99th Singularity podcast. And, you know, coming up soon is the 100 episode, the 100th episode of the Singularity Podcast. And uh, I promise you, I'll have something, at least something interesting uh, for you that's a little bit different from what I usually do. Okay? And wish me luck on this uh, followers song that I'm working on. And uh, that decision will be made today, (laughs) right after I get done doing this. So peace out, everybody. 
And with that, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. And don't forget those face kisses. Peace out, everybody. Take it easy. Okay, happy innovators, the ones that are brave enough to stick around to the end of the podcast for some music. I've got a song for you today, and it's a song called Sansis FM. Um, it's a song that I am particularly proud of. You know, when I listen to it now, and uh, I was even when I was making the song, when I was writing it and recording it. Um, and it was done at a time when I was really starting to hit my stride. At least I felt I was with this whole recording process and um, the technology that I was working with. And, you know, it was um, kind of like one of those songs that came along right when it was like the culmination of a lot of different bits of information and technology and ideas and things that had come together and then I sat down to make this song. And when I listen to it now, um, it's kind of cool because I hear a lot of things happening in this song, these ideas that I had, and I remember having them, you know. So it's, um, you know, it's exciting to listen to and to remember, you know, how much. Uh, creativity was going into it at that time and how I was really kind of having a very comfortable creativity flow you know it was just coming out and when I hear it it, it's apparent to me and uh, it's like a parade the song like when I press play from the beginning of the song to the end it's like a parade of these different ideas that I had and I can hear them all being executed as the song plays and you know, to this day so check it out this is again uh, Sansis FM um, it's actually named after uh, a relative of mine's uh, cat <laughs> believe it or not my, my aunt had two cats um, one was named Sansis and one was named Nico Nico and Sansis these two Siamese cats and um, I don't know, the names just always kind of stuck with me. They stuck in my mind. And, uh, you know, this message in the song was kind of like, you know, not necessarily related to the idea of those cats, but more like the feeling and the sentiment of the people that were around those cats at that time that I was writing the song. So, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, there was a little bit of petty animus at the time the song was being recorded. And so, therefore, I included in the title, as a clue, okay, the name of this cat, you know? And uh, (laughs) it's funny how that kind of thing works, but... 
I don't know. Basically, it just boils down to I liked using those names, Nico and Sansas. Actually, I do have a song called Nico FM. So there was Sansas FM by Pipe Choir, and there was also Nico FM by Pipe Choir. And the Nico FM didn't come out so good. And it's one of those tracks that I have where I, I kind of listen to it now, and I think oh, I should probably go back and take another swing at that. But it's just like never happened, you know, for one reason or another. Anyway, I digress. Here we go. Sansas FM, uh, circa probably 2007, 2008, um, and uh, right, you know, right when I was getting ready to release the Pipe Choir debut album, and the song was included on that. So check it out. Peace out, everybody. Have fun, be safe, and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Episode 100 of the Singularity Podcast. We're finally going to get there. Peace out, everybody. Take it easy.